This program is a part of the Full Press Radio Network. Find this and all of Full Press Coverage's shows on fullpressradio.com or free on the Full Press Coverage app, available now on the Apple and Google Play stores. It is Dave Baker, president of the Pro Football Hall of Fame in Canton, Ohio, the most inspiring place on earth. And you're listening to Ira Kaufman and Clark Judge on the I Test for Two. Welcome to the midsummer and in some areas tropical storm edition of the eye test for two. I'm Clark Judge. I'm Ira Kaufman. And as you should know, we're Hall of Fame voters joined, as always, by Hall of Fame producer Ian Glendon. But as I said, you probably knew that. What you might not know, however, is that Ira and Ian live in the Tampa Bay area where tropical storm Elsa hit Wednesday morning. And guys, quick question. How bad was it? Uh, a tree limb fell on my new vinyl fence, but um, other than that, uh, everything held up pretty well. Um, I think we, we dodged a bullet. I think it got weaker as it got close to Tampa. It could have been a lot worse. Ian? Yeah, I just uh, I heard a bunch of rain last night, kind of slept through the whole thing, and it was actually kind of a pleasant day out today. So the sun was out, it was shining. I unfortunately could not get a tea time, though. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I, well, I think that's sort of typical because we all get weaker as we get closer to Tampa, right? Absolutely. <laughs> well, as a reward, guys, for getting through that, a limb falling in the front yard, Ira, you should be embarrassed. As a reward for getting through that, we do have a special guest with us here today, and that's the former president GM of the USFL Philadelphia slash Baltimore Stars and the NFL Kansas City Chiefs, Mr. Carl Peterson. Now, Carl got in touch with me recently to talk about Dick Vermeil's Hall of Fame chances. And I told him, hey, why not come on the show to make a case for him? So you know what, guys? Here he is. Carl, always a pleasure. Clark, thank you. And Ira and Ian, I'm, I'm uh, pleased to be on for a few minutes. I think your show is terrific. I, I think it gives fans a, a different perspective of, of the, the many, many, quite obvious uh, NFL players and coaches and contributors that are deserving of the Pro Football Hall of Fame. But as we all know, there are very limited numbers that come in each year. And uh, having been on this centennial committee two years ago to celebrate the 100th year of the NFL uh, with 15 other guys, I know how difficult now it is to make those decisions. Uh, as, as you know, we started with uh, 350 names of players, coaches, and contributors going back to the 20s, the 30s, the 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, and early 90s. And it was an arduous task. And uh, we took four months to do it. But uh, I, I enjoyed every minute of it. Um, I think, I hope we made some good decisions. We're going to see uh, many of those guys now 
go into the Pro Football Hall of Fame in August in Canton, Ohio. Uh, we've already inducted nine, including my dear friend Steve Sable, posthumously uh, from that class. But again, I salute you for, uh, for, I don't know if you ever volunteered for this job, but you've got it. And uh, I hope, obviously, you're as objective as, as all of us uh, try to be. But uh, you have to make decisions. I understand that. For the record, Carl, we did not volunteer, but I know R and I both feel privileged, feel privileged to be on that board. Um, yeah. Well, you and I go back years. Uh, in fact, I'd say we yeah. go back a couple of decades. And I know that yeah. you go back years with Dick Vermeil and how passionate you are about Dick's case. He took the right. Eagles and Rams to Super Bowls, won a Lombardi Trophy. Then he spent his last five years of coaching with you in Kansas City, where he won a division title. I think he was 44. 136 for all. He was a winner. That, that he was there was. Um, I've seen committee, you know, as you know, and, and it's the committee that chooses coaching candidates. So if you can, go ahead and make a case for Dick Vermeil to Ira and to me. Well, uh, it's uh, there are a lot of obviously positive things. Uh, having been on that committee, I, I think that Dick has uh, checked every box that uh, any deserving NFL head coach uh, should check before they were uh, selected as a Pro Football Hall of Fame coach. But um, as you know, he was 15 years as a head coach. I was fortunate to be with him at two campaigns, the Philadelphia Eagles, and then he stepped away for about 14 years from the game, uh, still broadcasted, did a great job there, and then he came back to, to the Rams and in three short years took them to a world championship in St. Louis, and then retired again, and then I got him to unretire for the third and last time to come to Kansas City to help us get back on the winning track. And uh, the Rams and the Eagles were absolutely abysmal franchises when he took them over. Uh, I certainly know that, uh, being close to both of them and involved with the Eagles. Um, uh, the man has an unbelievable capacity to reclamate uh, destroyed, uh, down-in-the-mouth franchises. And I think the uh, – I know the Eagles in the previous 15 years had had, uh, I think, one winning season. And the, the uh, Rams in the previous seven years had had one winning season. Uh, when he came to us with the Chiefs, we had been out of the playoffs for the last five years. And, and I, I desperately needed him and his abilities to turn us back in the right direction. Here's the thing with Dick. Uh, his NFL coaching record, the first two years that he's with a team, is not exceptional, okay, not exceptional. From the third year on, it is tremendously uh, exceptional. Um, it's a 650% win-loss percentage. He's done something that only one other coach – in the history of the NFL is done. And that is take not one, not two, but three downtrodden teams, if you want to call them that, turn the culture around, and in the third year, start winning and put them in by the fifth year in a division championship and win it. Three division championships, three different teams, all terrible. The only other coach has done that is Bill Parcells. And he is in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. I have a uh, a list of, and I've been working on this for three years now. Clark, you know that, and Ira. Um, 
of Hall of Fame players and coaches that have sent in their support for Dick, either with letters, emails, texts, or actually calling Hall of Fame voters. And uh, the names are, are, are these, Morton Anderson, Harold Carmichael, Marshall Falk, London Fletcher, Tony Gonzalez, Trent Green, Claude Humphrey, Ron Jaworski, Orlando Pace, Willie Rofe, Jerry Robinson, Will Shields, and Kurt Warner. And those guys uh, all swear that they would never have gotten to the Pro Football Hall of Fame without being coached by Dick Vermeil. Former and current NFL coaches and administrators that have, have sent letters in for Dick are Bill Cower, Hall of Famer, Tony Dungy, Hall of Famer, Herm Edwards, Jeff Fisher, um, Joe Gibbs, Hall of Famer, Trent Green, Mark Levy, Hall of Famer, Steve Mariucci, Andy Reid, I think without question, a future Hall of Famer. Just have that list of recommendations by players and coaches, Carl. You can yes. win a lot of games. <laughs> you can win a lot of games <laughs> with those names. Holy you, you, better, you better believe it. And um, uh, I, well, I was going to ask you, what I mean, what should voters like Ira? Ira, as I said, is on the senior committee. And the senior committee handles yeah. the coaches. What should voters on the senior committee know about Dick Vermeil that they don't already? Well, uh, I hope they, they know all of those other uh, statistics. But I, I hope that they, uh, you know, take the time. For example, uh, in Vahi's uh, latest a letter that he wrote, and he made it into an article, a column uh, for Dick, obviously, with the Kansas City Star. Again, they, it talks about the uh, the other aspects of coaching and how to get players to play to their optimum level week in and week out. And Dick hasn't done it, and there are coaches that have done it uh, with fear, but he does it with, with – uh, he works them hard. There's no question about that. I mean, uh, players uh, know that if they're going to play for Dick Vermeil, they're going to put in a lot of hours, a lot of time, contact, and so forth. But he does it with a, a love and a caring that uh, I've never seen before. And I've had some great football coaches. I've had Marty Schottenheimer and, and uh, Jim Morris Sr., um, Herm Edwards. This guy, this guy being Dick Vermeil, is different and unique. And, uh, he teaches the game, obviously, the way I think it should be taught. Um, he's never once ever crossed the line on anything that's been uh, ruled. And uh, he's always, he's always um, concerned about the guys on the other side of the sideline also, on the other team. Uh, Steve Mariucci wrote a great, a great uh, letter of support for him. He played him twice a year coaching San Francisco. And uh, uh, he said, you know, I hated this guy on Thursday and Friday, this guy Vermeil, and, and getting game planning for him and that. And then on Monday when I look at the film when we've lost again, he said, I hated him too. And then Tuesday morning I'd get a phone call from Dick Vermeil. And he'd say, Steve, you guys play hard. They did great, you know. He said, Steve, what did you see that we need to improve on? And he was getting to the point that, Steve, if I can help you, I'm here for you. And he's never forgot that. Um, he, he has, I think, endeared every single 
Philadelphia Eagles head coach that has succeeded him uh, to a point that every one of them uh, cannot say enough about Dick Vermeil. It's just his, his uh, personality that I think eventually wins over the players. He does things that I've never seen other coaches do with players in the offseason. And to this day, every single player that he's had going all the way back uh, to high school, but to the Eagles, to the Rams, and to the Chiefs, uh, he, he calls them once a week. It's amazing how many people he stays in touch with. And he does it sincerely. Uh, he, he's told me, listen, I don't need to win the Pro Football Coach of the Year or uh, Hall of Fame coach. He said, there are so many other deserving people. Um, he said, I've had uh, such a marvelous, wonderful uh, career, and I've had such marvelous and wonderful players and coaches and football support staff that I don't need anything more. And my, uh, my last point would be this, and I know this, and Bahi actually touches on this, and I, I know uh, for you guys that are actual voters, Iron Clark, uh, age, um, off the field, previous to the NFL, um, experiences uh, don't count. But I must tell you that uh, even though he looks like he's 54, Steve, uh, excuse me, Dick is 84. He's going to be 85 this next year. And uh, I personally want it for him because I want him to be able to enjoy it, his wife to enjoy it his family to enjoy it. Um, certainly, I know the other candidates are deserving, uh, some more than others. But again, I would go back to the, the one distinguishing characteristic in regards to a record that I think stands out. No other coach except Bill Parcells has started with terrible losing teams in the NFL. I mean, losing and losing and losing and come in and turn them around. Some have taken over teams that were already successful, and then they've gone on to other teams that weren't successful, and they could not turn them around. Um, Dick just has this unbelievable capacity. For me, that's the essence of coaching. Take what you have and make it better. And take what you have and not only make it better, make them champions. And I've seen him do that on three different occasions. Actually, I saw him do it on a fourth one at UCLA. But uh, and was proud to be with him on three of those. At the end of the day, um, I, I hope that the Hall of Fame voters do listen to uh, the Hall of Fame players, the Hall of Fame coaches, the Hall of Fame contributors that stand up for Dick. And uh, I'd like to think that this is his time, the class of 2022. And uh, gentlemen, I rest my case. <laughs> Carl, if I ever, uh, Carl, if I ever get in trouble, I wouldn't mind you having uh, <laughs> represent me in front of a jury, Mr. Peterson. <laughs> well, you well, you're kind, to, you're kind, you're <laughs> kind to say that, and uh, I just hope that obviously the uh, NFL, or excuse me, Hall of Fame Seniors Committee uh, is listening again this year. Uh, Carl, uh, I got a question in '83, Carl. In '83, yep. you yep. know. You, you make that big change for Carl Peterson and, and you go to the U.S. Football League, you leave a good job. Um, yeah. Carl, when you did that, and I know that was probably a tough decision for you, but 
Carl, at that time, did you know that Vermeil was was going to end up retiring? <laughs> no, I uh, I didn't. In fact, uh, initially, uh, Dick, you know, we had a lot of discussions about it, and he said, you know, I think you need to go talk to these people uh, in Philadelphia, very reputable businessmen that are starting this thing called the USFL, the Philadelphia franchise, and uh, he said, but you know, you you've got a job here, you've got a a great uh, career started and uh, I'd hate to lose you. By the time I talked to these guys and they kept talking to Dick, they did a great job. He finally said, you know, you probably have to really take this. The the, uh, culminating decision for me was that I got a chance to to run my own show and frankly started from scratch, literally from hiring the first person. Well, we talk, uh, we talk about Canton, a lot on this podcast, Carl. I'm going to ask you about some players. You were talented and, and smart enough to surround yourself with, with some great players, Carl. And some of them are still waiting for their day. And yep. Carl, uh, Carl, I'll start with Sam Mills. And, and, yep. and I'd like you to talk a little bit about Albert Lewis and Deron Cherry. But start with Sam Mills, Carl. Well, Sam Mills was a, a very unique um individual uh he was five foot nine and a half always wanted to be five ten but he never made it he uh as as you probably know he played in that that football factory glassboro state in uh new jersey (laughs) and uh and he tried uh not once but twice uh both in the cfl the canadian football league and the nfl and i got a call from sam retigliano the first year that we're starting the league up, uh, it's actually the, the fall of 82. We're putting our rosters together. And it's just at the end of training camp. And Sam says, Carl, uh, we're letting a guy go. I'm not sure why. He said, uh, except that he's five foot nine and a half. And he said, uh, I think you should sign him. He said, I think he's, he's going to be a great football player. And he said, uh, gave me this advice, great advice. He said, and whatever you do, don't cut him until you see him hit. I said, Sam, I appreciate it. Send him my way. We did. I gave uh, uh, Sam Mills a big $500 bonus and two years at twenty and $22,000. Um, at that time, at that time, George Perlis was our coach. So we'd have on the weekend sometimes a three-day mini camp or whatever. And, and, of course, we're out there in our shorts and that. And at, when it ended every Sunday night, we'd sit down, the coaches and myself, per, per, uh, personnel people, Bill Kuharik was part of it and so forth, Terry Bradway. And uh, we'd say, okay, let's talk about each guy. We got to Sam Mills and George Perlis would say, Carl, I know he's a great kid. He tries hard, he said, but um, listen, we cannot play professional football with a five foot nine and a half middle linebacker and I said uh, George I hear you but we're going to keep him until training camp starts and we're going to watch him hit so then I lose George and now I hire Jim Moore late in December so we have our first mini camp uh, early in, in January and uh, same thing three days all of the Jim's put together a hell of a staff and uh, we get to the final evaluations and Jim says the same thing he says Carl we cannot play professional football with a five foot, nine and a half middle linebacker. He said that we probably need to let Sam go. 
he didn't make it in, in the NFL. He didn't make it in the CFL. I said, Jim, I hear what you're saying, but we're going to keep him until training camp until we see him hit. Well, at the end of January, we go to training camp, a place called Stetson University in DeLand, Florida, and put on the pads. And after the first practice, the first practice, our defensive coordinator, who later became the head coach at Arizona, defensive coordinator with, with uh, the Bears, with um, uh, Ditka, he stands up and he said, the best football player I've ever seen hit is Sam Mills. We don't want to cut him. And uh, by the end of the year, he was the best defensive player in the entire United States Football League. There is a series of three plays against the New Jersey Generals. They had a running back by the name of Herschel Walker. And it's first and goal on about the three-yard line. And three consecutive plays, Sam Mills comes through and hits Herschel Walker. And Herschel had ran into a fire plug. He didn't make one inch. And after that series, everybody in the league knew who Sam Mills was. He epitomized what you look for in a player. And uh, I think without question, he's worthy of the Pro Football Hall of Fame. We're speaking with former USFL and NFL GM and President Carl Peterson here on the iTest for Two. And Carl, I'm glad you referenced the stars. I'm glad that Ira asked you the question because most people know you were very successful there. Uh, I think the team was 48-13 and won the regular season, 7-1 in postseason play. You were two-time executive of the year. But what they might not know is that I've been told you had in your possession the USFL trophy until 2018 when you donated it to the Pro Football Hall of Fame. True? And if it is, what do they do to convince you to give it up? <laughs> well, uh, it is true. I would, I would share with you that, um, of course, we won the last two championships and, uh, you know, carried the trophy off the stage and all the rest. And all of a sudden, I had it in my possession. So I said, well, I'll, I'll take it home for a while. And then I, we didn't know, quite frankly, at that time that the league was, was, was not going to go into a fourth year. Anyway, so I kept it and uh, kept it in a nice place in my uh, study in, in New Jersey. And then when I uh, took the job from Lamar, uh, he had me come out and uh, he's such a wonderful guy. Uh, talk about humility and humbleness. Nobody had uh, more of that than, than Lamar Hunt. But he's showing me around the, uh, the chief's offices. And uh, on the first floor, in the lobby, you come in, the first trophy you see, and now they've got two Lombardi trophies, but it's not the Lombardi trophy. It's the American Football League Championship trophy. And Lamar showed this to me. He was very proud of it. I don't have to tell you. He he, uh, he was very, very much instrumental in bringing the two leagues together, and he was the founder of the AFL. And uh, he looked at me and he said, you know, uh, you haven't asked me why I hired you. And I said, well, I'm not sure if I can or I should. I said, but I'm sure it's like you did. And I said, why did you hire me? He said, well, I just want you to know this. That at one time, I was in a rebellious league also. It was called the AFL. And he says, I can't tell you how proud I am of this trophy. So now that he's hired me, 
I, I had the courage to, uh, the next day, uh, call him. He'd gone back to Dallas. I said, Lamar, would you mind if I brought the championship trophy from another rebellious league, the USFL, and put it into my office at Arrowhead? He said, Carl, we'd be proud to, to house it. And so that's where it was for 20 years in my office, running the Chiefs. And uh, I must tell you, and I don't know if you've seen it, it's a better-looking trophy than the Lombardi trophy. It's, it's <laughs> bigger, it's heavier. But anyway, but that's the story. So every year, uh, I would get a call from uh, the president of the uh, Pro Football Hall of Fame and uh, would say, uh, you know, we do have another room, a uh, display room of all the other Pro Football Leagues because we are the Pro Football Hall of Fame, not just the NFL Pro Football Hall of Fame, but the entire pro football history and we'd love to have that trophy here and i guess uh just because dave baker's uh, a master salesman uh two years ago i said you know what it probably needs to be there uh not in my house uh, after the chiefs i've taken it back home with me and so uh, i uh, contributed it on behalf frankly of all of those that participated played coached administrated uh, owned in the, in the United States Football League and um, I, I think it's in the right place now again I'm, I'm so proud of uh, the guys that were in that league and have gone on and done well uh, you know Bill Polian was in it uh, like I said there were there were so many great guys and four of them were in the Pro Football Hall of Fame that started their careers yeah. in the USFL yeah well, as anyone who knows David Baker, when he knocks on your door, Carl, very tough to tell him no, right? So when he says, I'd like to have that trophy. Exactly, yeah. And he's, he's, first of all, one of the biggest human beings I've ever seen. So you're looking up when you say no or yes. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Carl, uh, a couple of final questions for me. Thanks so much for your time, yeah. Carl. Appreciate it. Uh, My pleasure. Carl, 20, 20 years in KC. And Carl, among your many accomplishments, besides drafting Derek Thomas and all the success you had, but Carl, I know one thing that you hang your hat on. You were 30 and 11 against those bad guys with the Raiders, the silver and black. And Carl, you know, people talk about, you know, the Cowboys versus the Redskins and other great rivalries. And there's a lot of them. But Carl, going back to the AFL, there ain't nothing like Raiders Chiefs. I think you'd agree. Um, yep. uh, Al Davis and Lamar Hunt, uh, Carl. Yep. So how important was it for you and Marty to establish that dominance over the silver and black when you arrived in uh, 89? Well, I, I think without question, uh, it was very important. What surprised me was how important and how much things changed for Marty during Raider Week. Marty would put on his hat on Monday morning and walk into the team meetings. And he says, I don't have to remind you what week this is. He said, gentlemen, we will walk out of here with a victory, either in Oakland or Los Angeles or Arrowhead Stadium, because I hate those guys. And uh, he, he did he, with a passion. I, I used to kid him. I said, you know, I don't care for Al Davis myself. And uh, I said to uh, why do you dislike him so much? I said, did he, did he turn you down for a job one time or, or what? And, and Marty just said, 
it's the arrogance. He said, it's the arrogance that they think they are so great. And he said, you know, it goes back to his AFL days. Marty played for Buffalo, obviously. But but I don't have to tell you how pleased, how very, very pleased Lamar Hunt was with that record. Uh, and Marty set the tone. Uh, two weeks a, a year, you knew you didn't have to. You could just cut it with, with a knife in the locker room on Monday morning. This was Raider week. And uh, we're not going to lose this. Marty, I don't know whether just to put it in Al's face or whatever, <laughs> we needed an offensive line coach. He hires Art Shell. I mean, I know, I know how P.O. Al Davis was. He held up the uh, money that he owed uh, Art. And I had to go to the commissioner for that. No. Anyway, after the first week that we played the Raiders, Art came by my office and he said, listen, I just have to tell you. He said, after watching Marty, this week, he said, now I know why you guys kicked our butt every single week, every time we played. And, and uh, as, as Marty and I used to say, because Al loved the word, yes, Art, I think we did dominate the Raiders. Um, Carl, last one for me, Carl, and I think this one might be close to your heart, Carl. Um, we've had a recent passing, uh, and I got to think that you knew this guy very well. Um, Carl, um, some of your yeah. thoughts on uh, Terry yeah. Donahue. Well, I appreciate that. Yes. Terry and I were UCLA classmates, UCLA coaching mates. Uh, we commuted together from Westlake Village uh, for the four years uh, that uh, Pepper Rogers' last two and Dick Vermeule's only two. Uh, 33 miles one way from Westlake Village and out in the Ventura Valley to Westwood, California, the UCLA campus uh, every day. Um, we, uh, I think, you know, had great, I don't think I know we had great times together, but great admiration. And uh, the guy was a marvelous coach. He's, you know, he's, he's the only uh, UCLA alum and maybe, uh, maybe you can say any university who not only played in the, in the Rose Bowl as a, as a player, coached in the Rose Bowl as an assistant coach and coached in the Rose Bowl and won as a head coach, the Rose Bowl. Um, he, uh, he bled blue and gold. Um, his uh, wife, Andrea, most beautiful, wonderful lady. I've talked with her, communicated with her. Three beautiful daughters. My one daughter grew up with, with the oldest one, Nicole. His daughter, they both graduated from UCLA. My daughter, Don, and Nicole uh, at the same time. Um, Terry, I, I would I would share with you, uh, was most instrumental in helping me get the job uh, at uh, UCLA as a full-time assistant coach with Pepper Rogers. He called me when they had an opening on the staff. I was up at a place called Sonoma State College and uh, was the head coach there, but they were uh, disbanding uh, football, intercollegiate football. Timing was perfect. Um, went down and made it. Uh, another story of Terry, 
My daughter, uh, now I've gone to the Eagles. My daughter grows up out on the East Coast in Jersey with us. She applies and gets accepted late to the alma mater, to UCLA, and then they inform her that she doesn't have any, any place to stay, so she'll have to do it on her own. And uh, a daughter came to me and she said, Dad, I'll, I'll be fine. I'll get an apartment in West Westwood, California. And that. I said, honey, do you think I want my 18-year-old daughter to travel 3,000 miles across this country, albeit to our alma mater, UCLA, to live in an apartment in Westwood? I said, no, unless we get on-campus uh, living for you, you're not going to go. And she said, Dad, can we now call Coach Donahue? And we did. And, of course, Terry uh, magically came up with, with a dormitory. They, they allot so many to the athletic department, obviously, for uh, uh, football players, scholarship players, preferred walk-ons, whatever. And uh, he came through again. Uh, you know, great family. Uh, I, uh, I've watched him and uh, communicated with him over these past two years. Uh, he, uh, he had a bad sentence from the beginning. They said six months maximum. He, he took it out 24 months. Valiant fighter. Uh, no one better. He was, uh, and epitomized truly the gutty little Bruin. He was a 187 pound defensive tackle at UCLA started for him when they beat Michigan State in the 1966 Rose Bowl. We'll miss him, as I told Andrea, but we'll never forget him. And uh, I, uh, I'm sure, I'm sure he's in the right place now, in a better place. But uh, I appreciate that um, opportunity to uh, to say some things about uh, a good, dear, dear friend, one hell of a football coach. God bless and Godspeed, Terry Donahue. Carl Peterson, thanks so much for the time. And I don't know if you're going to Canton, but if you are, Ira and I will be sure to look for you. So thanks again uh, for the time. Yeah, I will be there for Harold Carmichael and, and uh, Paul Tagliabue and uh, all the others that uh, so deservedly uh, are there now and look forward to seeing you. Thank you. My pleasure. Thanks, pleasure, Carl. Carl. That was former Chiefs in Philadelphia slash Baltimore Stars president and GM Carl Peterson. I'm glad you asked the question about Terry Donahue. I covered him in San Francisco. He was um, head of football operations, then GM when Bill Walsh uh, got back into it in the late 1990s. Always a pleasure to deal with. He didn't have a lot of success there, but always a pleasure to deal with. Now, you know, generally, uh, you know, Clark, uh, uh, down the line here in a couple of minutes, um, you might say I was there. You might you might get the crowd talking. You just might. No, but I, I you know what, Ira? I, I don't have an I was there because this one's gonna be an I will be there. It's your chance to tell us where you will be the next couple weeks because Ian said I was gone. He's gone. So this is an I was there. This is an I will be there. And Ian, just you know, you might that they are excited to know where you're going and when you're going to be there. Clark, I'm going to a place that you might be very familiar with, which is Santa Barbara, California. I am. I am. And it's a little town called Golita, which is about five miles away. And um, we got a house with two other couples, uh, people that I used to work with at United Press International. 
the late great UPI Clark that used to battle the Associated Press. And um, and a guy is driving up from LA, Clark, haven't seen him in 30 years. The man who introduced me to my wife in 1979 in a New York City bar. Oh yes, the bar's name was Suspenders. I went there with my boss and I, I, uh, I, <laughs> I met my wife and she turned around and she said, hey, who's that guy standing there by himself? I said, that's my boss. She said, shouldn't we involve him in the conversation? Absolutely not. We <laughs> turned our back to him. He was gone, and the rest is history, Mr. Judge. Are you going to drop that man's name? The guy who introduced the two of you? Are you going to drop his name? Logan Hobson. That's one of the great names. Logan Hobson. It is a great name. Uh, well, congratulations on getting that um, uh, accommodation in Santa Barbara. That's tough. I didn't get a call, and Ian, I don't think you did either. Um, but, you know, next time you go, Ira, don't forget the little people out there, okay? Uh, I got a place in Oxnard that uh, I got Ian Glendon uh, ticketed for. Yeah, great. <laughs> He's going to pass. Hey, Ira, any final thoughts before you leave? Uh, you know, once Car Clark, once you get Carl Peterson going, he, uh, he, he makes his points, and he makes them with conviction, with right. conviction. He told some great stories today, Clark, some great stories. He yeah. did. Um, well, that's going to do it for this week, and now a programming note. We didn't expect Ira to be here today. We really didn't. If you listened to our sign-off last week, Ira said, see ya, where well, I'm out of here. No, he came <laughs> back. We, we thought he'd be off for that summer vacation in California. We thought he'd be off this week. But then once he heard that Carl Peterson was going to be on, he said, you know, no, guys, uh, not going until the weekend. But now we're both taking time off until August. But there will be, and you can convince people and just reaffirm this, there will be an eye test for two show the next couple weeks um and it's something to keep you listening until health and weekend right and a month from now clark will be able to tell some stories right from canton right from canton absolutely and with that thank you for listening and ira hasta la vista baby thank you my friend